This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. I've got a quick question before we get into it. Um... On my way home from the Etihad Stadium, I was having a think. Uh, it's obviously quite late here as we're recording, going out in the early hours uh, in, into your ears. And I was thinking what I'm going to have for breakfast. Now, I thought I'll open the podcast up by asking you, Adam, what you have for breakfast. So not necessarily like your ideal breakfast, like a big breakfast on it, like a hangover or whatever. But, you know, every day, run of the mill, what do you, what do you start your day with? So this is a funny answer for me because... I think food is disgusting for the first like two hours that I'm awake. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say like, like at all. Like you just don't need. Gen- genuinely can't stomach it. Well, so right. <laughs> my issue is I drink a lot of coffee in the morning. Well, not a yeah. lot of coffee. I drink coffee in the morning. So yeah. I get like, you know, the nervous shakes and the sweats yeah. if I don't eat yeah. with the coffee. So I have to eat. So I go through these like six month to year long phases where I find one single thing that I can I stomach that. in the morning and I, I eat that. that every single morning. Right now it's frozen waffles. Do you heat them up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heat oh, them up. <laughs> I thought you just meant you have waffles. But like any like- any American would know what I mean when I say Eggo waffles. Right. They're like a staple little right. child food. Right. Okay. Um, so I eat four frozen waffles. With anything Heat it on up, of course. Just, just yeah, like maple maple syrup. Maple syrup, right? Okay, that that's and like then, the most American answer you've ever given to any question ever. And then I eat a huge lunch within like an hour and a half of eating that. Like once I get started eating for the day, then I'm 
I can eat a lot, but in the mornings, I think food is just disgusting. That's interesting. I kind of get what you mean. I was like, used to be someone who had to eat in the morning. Then I went through a stage. It sort of coincided with lockdown, I think, of being that person who woke up and went an hour or so without eating. But at the moment, trying to sort of, you know, get my life on track, working man and whatnot. Um, for me, for me, I'm, I'm a Shreddies man. Do you know what Shreddies are? It's a, it, I'll give you a clue. It's no. a cereal. Um, it's, I mean, yeah, I could guess it probably something like Wheat Thins or what are they called? Uh, Wheaties or yeah, I think, it's, I, I think it's probably um, I think it's probably on those same lines. They're like a sort yeah. of small square cereal. Um, to be honest, I, th- I don't think my answer's much more mature than your frozen waffles yeah. and maple syrup. I think we're both little children with our morning meals. But well, yeah, that was we, some... we were, we, Laura and I were um, house-sitting and pet-sitting for a couple of friends of ours a couple of weekends ago, and we walk into their house and they were they were still there we walked into their house about a half hour before they left for the airport and we walk in with you know our dog our stuff to spend the weekend and i just walk in with a box of frozen waffles <laughs> and i just felt like the absolute biggest idiot on the planet because it's literally what children eat so yeah yeah um yeah should we talk about some football um because not that that first half at the Etihad Stadium would suggest, but it, it turned out we did have a little bit of a game. Um, Manchester. Would you City, say? Would you say we've been waffling a bit, Amos? Oh, now that's why we pay you the big bucks. Uh, we don't pay you anything at all. Um, but yeah, Manchester City two, Borussia Dortmund one. Um, my my first tweet after full time. Um, sort of summed it up quite nicely I felt the sexual tension between Manchester City and going behind before starting to play football we've had a question about that which we'll spend the majority of this podcast speaking about so park thoughts about that for now but in terms of the 90 minutes in isolation a couple of takeaways what did you make of it I mean there wasn't a lot to really make of the first half it was sort of all the action came in the second half but um a little bit of a game evolved in the end and it was a the Etihad was rocking at full time. Uh, yeah, it was rocking at full time. I don't know about the mm. 75 minutes leading yeah. up to that. Um, that was a point of contention in one of our group chats. But um, on the game, it felt to me like the winter of 2020, I believe is when I'm thinking of. And it was the months before City discovered the false nine system and we were consistently playing with a front three of Riyad Mahrez on the right mm. um somebody in the middle kind of rotated sometimes Gundogan sometimes Kevin De Bruyne sometimes Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling on the left and it was the dullest brand of football I have seen at City since probably 2015 s- mm, no probably 2007 what would have been the um oh bloody hell so that's like really really what, far. what would have been the season in which we scored like 12 goals at oh home? Stuart Pierce oh six yeah Stuart Pierce's season was, yeah. yeah um so so yeah that's what that first half or first hour felt like it was so narrow there was no nothing creative and it was just pass the ball around in a circle pass the ball around in a circle the other team will break and then we go the other way and do it again yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say we saw it coming, but it's another case of we saw it coming, really. You look at that, that line-up and I know, I mean, you, Psychic Meg, decided, oh, sorry, spotted that it'd be John Stones at right-back and we'll touch on his performance in a second, but 
you could see whoever was going to be it on the on the on the flanks, whether it was Cancelo, whether it was Nathan Ake, whether it was John Stones, and then obviously with Grealish and Riyad Mahrez either side, one dimensional probably does it a little bit too sort of it's a bit too kind calling it one dimensional because it just wasn't it was flat literally it was like an A4 sheet of paper absolutely flat um I, again I mean it, it may just be my bias I don't think Grealish was great on his on his performance you know it won't go down as one of his better performances but he did what he was there to do and rotate the ball the problem was there was exactly the same sort of stuff happening on the opposite side and when you've got somebody like Erling Haaland I mean I don't know at what point we say it starts becoming a worry but Riyad Mahrez looked off it and I think the telling point was when he went to bring down one of his trademark sort of hooks from the air and it just bundled out of play. I, I, I don't know where Riyad Mahrez gets minutes this season apart from matches that are, are being played uh, named after a, an energy drink or the Champions League that's already sorted. I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he's got a, a place in this team at the moment. Yeah, I'm trying not to be too hard on Riyad Mahrez because... You know, by the same token with Jack Grealish, we're saying, well, he benefits from having an overlapping fullback to give him space inside and and, and cut in on his left or his right foot for Riyadh. It's obviously mm. his left foot to, you know, work his magic. And this season, has Mara's had that? No, he's had Kyle Walker, who has been tucking in, right? And that's mm. been leaving yeah. Mara's isolated out there. Um, tonight, he had John Stones, who obviously took his goal really well. That was fantastic. But is he an overlapping fullback? No. Mm. So I'm willing to give Mares a little bit of leeway here because we know how good he is. We know that this isn't, um, you know, this is just a bad patch for him. I would love to see a fully fit Kyle Walker or a fully informed Jao Cancelo overlapping with Riyad Mares and see if we then get the best out of him because I don't think He's been given that once this season. Mm. Um, but here's here's what frustrates me just looking at the bigger picture is, um, you know, Pep Guardiola himself last season after we beat United at Old Trafford, he made a big deal out of the fact that when the opposition sits back deep in a back five, the way that you have to play is either with very wide fullbacks or very wide wingers in order to stretch that back five. So when he selects a team like he did tonight and from the off displays the polar opposite of that theory, it makes you think that even he knows this is not the best possible team to win the game. Mm. And therefore, you know, the, it makes you think is a selection not tactical? Is it for rotation purposes? But it just feels like We've made this mistake so many times that we shouldn't be making it anymore. Mm. And we got bailed out by another fantastic comeback and another fantastic Erling Holland goal. But if that ever dries up, this mm. isn't, you know, this isn't sustainable going forward. And look, this is this this game comes after a period in which City were dominating, controlling games for a few games on the trot, and maybe the postponement after the Queen's death, may, maybe that um, you know, broke up the rhythm a little bit. Um, but that's just kind of where the frustration lies for mm. me is because I think even Pep knows when he's walking out of the tunnel at the first whistle that it's it's going to go exactly as it went. Yeah, the 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 lineup for me has to fall into the category of 
giving players minutes. I don't necessarily... Well, it is rotation, isn't it? But it's not rotation for the sake of keeping players fresh because they've not played for seven days, but more in the more in the sense of keeping players happy. Somebody like Riyad Mahrez, who's extended his time at the club, would have been promised, you know, key part. Obviously, it hasn't happened for him so far. He has to play bigger games and this being one of them. Um, I'm just looking on who scored at the moment. That's got Erling Haaland down as the highest rated. UEFA gave Kevin De Bruyne as the man of the match. To be honest, I don't mind saying this. I would probably have given it to a Dortmund player, either one of the defenders or, or maybe Jude Bellingham. It, it wasn't the night that will go down. So, so we, we won't. So this night won't go down in history for the performance of the City players, bar two individual wonder goals. And I mean, looking on, on Footmob to sort of cross the platform in, in terms of our uh, stats. And if, if anyone wants to sponsor us, you know where we are. Um, Zero point nine expected goals for City. And that sort of sums it up a little bit, doesn't it? It wasn't the best performances. And I actually said coming out the ground to my dad, I wouldn't have minded City losing this game, partly because the the jeopardy of Champions League group stage means that you can lose a game, you can lose two games, you can probably lose three games when Catalanta did that one season and still qualify. But because it's felt like that loss would have been coming, obviously... It hasn't come. City came from behind again, which we'll touch on, like I said, in the second part. But the performance was probably the worst this season. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the first 60 minutes was. The the one thing I'll say about your um, almost feeling pleased if City had, had drop points in this game, and it's funny because I would have felt the same way. Mm. The one thing that I'll say is that the fact that it took a triple change in order for the comeback to happen makes me mm. feel more vindicated about how from the off the team yeah. wasn't good enough to win this yeah. game. Whereas had that team absolutely stunk it up for 75, 80 minutes and the same 11 players, then the, the comeback yeah. materializes and you get two wonder goals. Then does Pep feel vindicated in his selection when yeah. he shouldn't feel vindicated? So I'm kind of okay with the comeback. One, yeah. because you know I support Manchester City, and I think I'd rather see them win a game than lose a game. But, yeah. um, but it was vindication on the part of everyone screaming from the rooftops, this 11 players aren't going to get it done, and it mm. took the triple change. I think it's important to pick up on there. We've we've had many questions before, and we spoke about it a lot of time before. When City have been have have dropped points, and Guardiola hasn't made changes in in the sense that the same eleven who started finished the game. That's because those eleven players at that moment in time were playing well. This was the polar opposite to tonight, or whenever you're listening back to it, whenever City played Dortmund, it was a complete polar opposite in the sense that. It's no surprise Guardiola is one of the best managers of all time, but he recognised the problem and he fixed it, and and fixed it he did. Obviously, um, just going back to it, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, Julian Alvarez, the three players to come on at the same time, Mares, Grealish, and Gundogan coming off. Obviously, there was another a substitution for Phillips um, just at the start of added time, but. Talk me through those subs because they they sort of to use the the, the, the well used cliche changed the game. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing, right, is Foden coming on to the left and there being width. Yeah. Um, so the game immediately was stretched. And then Alvarez, you know, with his with his energy and his ability to press, I think that helped a, a lot. City were winning the ball back higher up a lot more than they were in the first half. Um, and just by proxy, if you start winning the ball up 
higher up the pitch more often, you're going to create more scoring chances. And when you create more scoring chances, you're going to score more goals. So mm-hmm. um, it's worth mentioning, though, and I, I put this tweet out shortly before we came on, that it's pretty funny that the frustration around City tonight was the inverted winger, inverted fullback uh, situation. But the two players that make the difference on the score sheet are a right-footed left back yeah. and John Stones at right back. So maybe yeah. maybe Guardiola is on to something there. Who'd have thought it? Um, who'd have thought Pep Guardiola knows more than us lot? Um, yeah, so so just picking up on on those goals, obviously, we'll start with John Stones. Um, shades of a, a, another City centre-half at that end of the ground when City needed a goal, I think. It, it probably doesn't go nearly as... as it's not... Um, it's not on the same level, let's say, as Vincent Company strike, and, and I don't think Gary Neville was was screaming from his nice plush Cheshire home, wherever he may have been watching the match, saying, where, where do you want your statue, John Stones? But um, he really did remember he was from Barnsley and then just say, fuck it, didn't he? And, and wellied it into the... It, it's not, it wasn't even top corner. I think the goalkeeper probably has to save it, but it was a it was a strike and a half, and um, sort of not in keeping with his performance, I would have maybe have taken him off. Yeah, and... Um... Yeah, it was a fantastic goal, and I I adore John Stones, and I Who love doesn't? when he scores Who because doesn't? I always feel that his celebrations are really awkward. He's big and lanky, <laughs> and he tries to do some sort of like fist bump, and you feel like yeah. his shoulder's going to dislocate because he's got a tree trunk of an arm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, you're right, shades of the Vinny goals, obviously same end of the ground, kind of same position on the pitch. Um, and it, it makes me think that, Obviously, City created more chances in the last uh, 30, 30-odd 30 minutes, but it makes me think that it was just one of those things in which a, a wonder goal, a moment of brilliance just mm. kind of yeah. geez everybody up and it kind of it. reminds you. Yeah, you know, maybe at that point, City are thinking, this isn't our night. You know, they get yeah. they get their goal off of, you know, a, a second ball one on a free kick and um, it's just not our night so far. And And that kind of, you know is a little rocket up the ass and then obviously mm. the Holland goal happens. So it was well-timed. It was one of those goals that was, yes, it was, it was so well taken. It was a great goal aesthetically, but the most important thing was the timing of it for me. Yeah. And it, it again, for going to the stadium, it was the, the, the highlight of that game up until that moment was the, the sort of the argy bargy with the brushy Dortmund fans and, and the city fans. That was where most of my attention was, was being spent. And then obviously out of, out of nowhere, really city didn't part from a couple of threatening balls in the box, which again, I was really impressed with the brushy Dortmund defenders. I mean, it was all brushy Dortmund did for the, for most of the game bar score that one goal and, and one or two other chances, but um, it did, it did come out of nowhere. And then to speak of, of goals coming out of nowhere, how it was probably the most predictable thing at the start of the season a, a Cancelo outside of the boot cross into the box and a, a flailing Haaland limb but when you see it in, in practice it's absolutely stunning isn't it it's, it sort of defies physics a little bit yeah and I don't even know what you say anymore like That's, yeah. I, I feel I feel Which like we've said everything podcast, isn't it so yeah yeah that, that's yeah. our job so man. anyways uh see you next week yeah. um no, it was, yeah, it was a classic Cancelo cross. And I almost don't ever want to see him on the right because I don't want to stop seeing him hit those outside <laughs> of the boot crosses. He seems to be better outside of the boot than with the inside of his foot. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, unbelievable cross. And the finish, 
you're just thinking, why on earth are you not going with your head here? Why are you flipping upside down to get your ankle bone on it? <laughs> so it, was like, a- it was like when you, you know, when you play Tetris and you move in the blocks to fit into the thing. That's what it was like. It was like someone had grabbed Harland and just like flipped him 90 degrees. And he was a little Tetris block trying to fit into this gap. Yeah, it, it's, it's unbelievable. And um, on US television, we had Jamie Carragher, Micah Richards, and Thierry Henry. And Henry was just blown away. And, and he brought up, obviously, um, I think Cruyff scored a goal similar to that at the new camp yeah. when, he was, when he was in his pomp. Um, there's very, 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 very few people on earth, probably five or less, that would be able to pull that off mm. on purpose. Um, yeah, it's, it's scary. I don't know what you do to stop him. If, if he's pulling out goals like that, there's almost no point to defending him because you can be absolutely hanging all over him like a monkey on a tree branch and he will stick a leg out and stab the ball home. So uh, I don't even know what you do. Yeah. Well, you say, what, what do you do to, to stop him? Well, um, a certain Nico Schlotterbeck had an idea, at least had a plan in his head of how to stop him. Um, Borussia Dortmund go up uh, 1-0 in the 56th minute. Schlotterbeck comes on in the 78th minute. 80 minutes, John Stones 1-1. 84 minutes, Erling Braut Haaland 2-1. This is what he said before the game, of course, for anyone who who hasn't seen it or, or, or may have forgotten. Um, Borussia Dortmund sends back Nico Schlotterbeck. I know how to stop Erling Haaland. We have to stop Man City as a whole. Erling is the least of our problems. Do you know what I say to that, Adam? Chat, <laughs> chat, Schlot, get banged. And that will do uh, you went you went with a pun. <laughs> I was gonna go with a pun. I was gonna say with that quote, and then you get slaughtered by Erling Holland. Come oh, on, yeah. So you you've stolen my tonight. you've stolen my thunder here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Erling Erling got a thunder. I think he stole all our thunder. Um, that'll do for part one. We'll be back after a very short break to discuss why Manchester City needs to go behind before they start playing football. We've had a question. Um, it comes from Tommy Nutt, who says they need an in-depth discussion from us, uh, me and you, on the next podcast. This is the next podcast on why we go behind and then turn into the best team in the world. Um, last 15 minutes of every game, it seems to be the same, doesn't it? And it's getting to a point where I keep saying it isn't sustainable, but it's kind of sustainable. Um, I don't know what your immediate thoughts of that is. We'll, we'll delve into the the itty bitty of it in a, in a moment, but it, it's becoming, it's like, it's like reliving the same really nice dream. You know, when you have a dream and it's, you know, it, it takes you a half place, not those nightmares that are recurring, but you know, a nice, a nice comfortable dream, like a nice warm hug. It's like getting a nice warm hug every time it happens. It, it's, it's unexpected, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of on the way. Well, listen, listen, Tommy, this isn't a tough nut to crack. If you see what I'm saying here. Oh, hey. Um, uh, I, th- I think that a, there's a bit more being made about City going behind in a few games than there needs to be made about it. Um, you know, if you go back and look at each individual game in which City come from behind the, to win the season or, or mm-hmm. draw as they did at Newcastle, they each tell a little bit of a different story. Um, you know, with Newcastle, City were truly outplayed. Inverted yeah. fullback system, totally exposed by Newcastle's pace. And that was a game in which City really were outplayed and they, you know, they showed an extreme amount of resilience and bravery to come back and draw. And that was probably when 
it clicked for us like yeah this is a different team this is a different mm-hmm. a, a different a team with a different type of character than we've seen in Guardiola teams in the past um you know you look at the Palace game I don't think City are outplayed at all I think you no, know the first no. goal comes from a freak deflection on a free kick that should have never taken place because Jao Cancelo was was Close WWE yeah. elbowed in the face by Jordan yeah. Ayew um, yeah. At least there was contact with the Cancelo one, and you know yeah. WWE there isn't, so it, it says a lot. True, true. Um, which, by the way, that could have taken out his teeth, and I would have gone to war if it if it had taken out Jao Cancelo's <laughs> teeth. Um, but anyways, the second goal in that game, fine, great goal, great header. Um, but that was not a game that I thought City were outplayed, and they deserved to win by the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tonight, the Dortmund game. Um, We've already spoken about City's tactical setup and how they kind of did it to themselves in that first half. And and Dortmund scored a really good goal. And l- let's not forget, this is the Champions League. Like This is high-level opposition. That's Marco Royce. That's Jude Bellingham. There, there's good players on that team, and they will score good goals from time to time. So I'm not yet worried about this situation because I don't think it's City consistently getting outplayed. You look at, you know, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer's United team. They were getting consistently outplayed mm. and coming from behind and winning out of sheer luck. Yeah. yeah. This is that this is not the same case. So yeah, we can sit here and say this isn't sustainable. We don't want to see this going forward. And of course that's all true. But I don't think that City are being outplayed in these games and being forced to um being forced to come back. It's more of like they're not quite hitting that second gear yet. And eventually they do kind of, it clicks and then they're the better team. But um, let's, let's not forget that we're less than 10 games into the season. We, we lost, we sold three key first team players. We brought in Erling Holland, who's still going to take time to bet in. Um, We've got a new center back in Manuel Akanji who looks like he's fitting like a glove already. But there's there's new pieces everywhere. It's mm. still going to take a little bit of time for things to click, and that's what that's the huge positive to take from the situation is we're still really waiting for things to click, and City are winning football games. Mm. So to me, I have no complaints at the moment. Yeah, I imagine it's like if you moved into a new house and you've got a lovely new dream house, but you still need the plastering doing on one wall and you still need something fitting in the bathroom. And, you know, the, the house is lovely. It's great to live in, but there's still little bits. There's little there's little corners in the house that need painting and touching up. And, you know, there's a shelf that needs to go up somewhere. And that's how it feels a little bit. I, I guess that the it's not going to be an issue if we have the usual um, sort of the usual way City go about things. And come the autumn, Everyone's absolutely firing. The team's really fit. You know that that typical those winning streaks we've become accustomed to over a number of years with City and and that sort of like 10, 12, 14 game winning streaks. The issue, I suppose, could arise with the fact there's a World Cup. Um, that obviously, to go back to it, it's mid November. That football will stop. And that's usually sort of getting into that December period is where City really start to pick up points. So it'll be one to watch. I guess the easy answer, the really simple answer is the fact that it's football, you're going to concede goals. And especially the way City play in the sense that there isn't really a plan B, at least not defensively. There's always going to be space for defenders. And I suppose maybe there's an issue with the fact that City have conceded a lot of set pieces. Um, I don't know if there's anything to particularly read into that. Maybe it's just a case of 
sort of not not having two centre halves who are who sort of play every single game, and you know it is a little bit. Um, uh, the pieces aren't joined up, as you say. But but other than that, City are gonna concede goals. It's just can City outscore the opposition? It isn't. We're not speaking about Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid, where their entire game plan or enti- their entire brand essentially is built on one nil wins. City can score six goals in a game, and you know create enough chances to score six goals in each game. Um, one thing I'll pick up on then that 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 again isn't an issue but could turn into one we saw the triple we saw the triple change that that sort of turned the game on its head but those players are players who usually would start the match is it a problem that city need to have the same 11 12 maybe 13 players on a pitch to actually click into gear and those sort of like quote unquote fringe players aren't cutting it at the moment or is it a case of they just suited the environment. As we spoke about, they did suit the environment better, but it's because they are better players, I suppose. Phil Foden is an automatic starter. If City can't win games when he's off the pitch, it, it, it's a little bit of an issue, I suppose. So I think it's it's less of it's less of the fringe players aren't good enough and more of the fringe players, and especially when you look to a man who the fringe players are, Riyad Mahrez, Jack Grealish, um, you wouldn't really call Gundogan a fringe player, although he kind of was a fringe player in the last few years when Bernardo was was undroppable. Um, I think Mares and Grealish, who I think it's fair to be picking on them because they were probably the two worst players on the pitch mm. tonight. Yeah, um, they're two players that thrive in very specific conditions. We've we have been shouting this from the rooftops for ages now. You think back to when we did a season preview with. Um, Ali and we talked about what our ideal front three is and one thing we brought up was our ideal front three largely depends on who the fullbacks are and so when I see Riyad Mahrez on the same side as John Stones as a fullback and I see Jack Grealish on the same side as Jao Cancelo as a fullback I automatically know that they're going to be totally neutralized for the entire game yeah um so I I think my worry would be not that the fringe players aren't good enough on an individual basis, but that the fringe players, um, the setup of the, we'll call it the fringe team, if that is now going to be the kind of go-to is 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 Jack Relish and Riyad Mahrez yeah. are the backups to um, Phil Foden. And I guess you'd say Jack Relish is probably an automatic starter when mm, fit, though. Yeah, At least he has been. Um, I think we're just not seeing them in the best environment. Riyad Mahrez obviously hasn't gotten going this season. Grealish had, you know, a little injury. Um, so I'm not really worried about it. Um, I think with these players that are only getting minutes here and there, they're always going to take probably twice as long as the starters to get into a rhythm in the season. But like you mentioned two minutes ago, by the time, you know, the early winter, late autumn rolls around and you're playing every three days and these fringe players are no longer playing 30 minutes a week, they're playing mm. 110 minutes a week. Yeah, um, That makes a huge difference in just the rhythm and the way things click. So I'm really, really waiting until we see a, a longer run of games because we haven't really gotten that yet. We've had, what, mm. one week, I think, in which we had three games in a week. And that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would have been what Villa, 
Villa, Sevilla. No. No, I don't was, know. It, yeah, it had been the Forest midweek one, wasn't it? Yeah, Forest, Forest, Villa, Sevilla would be the only one week spell in which we've had um, three games. So, yeah, I'm gonna kind of hold my tongue on the the quote unquote fringe players until we see them kind of get into more of a rhythm. And and if we see players like Jack Grealish and Riyad Mahrez not clicking by November, by the time the World Cup comes around, then maybe there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a worry. Maybe you have to you know, take a splash into the transfer market in, in January. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a great trait to have though. Let's not, let, let's wrap on this. It's an absolutely fantastic trait to have going back towards the back end of last season, obviously um, West Ham two nil down at halftime. Um, Aston Villa two nil down at one point during that game as well. Um, Newcastle two goals behind. Uh, so that's three. Palace, obviously two goals behind again. That's four. And then obviously against uh, again against Dortmund. So it's five of the last, what, nine or so matches going across both seasons that City have come from behind to take something out of the game, which is, I, I suppose you get to a position now where, where you stop calling it a fluke because it, it, it happening five times in such a short space of time isn't fluky. Um, and I wonder how much of an impact that, that Real Madrid defeat at the Bernabeu had on the mentality of the squad and that sort of crushing, genuinely sort of like almost biblical ending to the game, obviously not from a City point of view, but it it felt like it was out of the realms of possibility, like it was being manufactured somewhere, the comeback Real Madrid had. And since then, City have sort of adopted it as one of their own strings to the bow, haven't they? And um, you get to a point where teams start to fear if they're 20 minutes uh, 20 minutes to go and they're leading they think Jesus Christ we're, we're not out of this until the full-time whistle's gone whereas previously against City teams we've seen a number of times City can play all night and not score whereas now obviously and you add Ar- uh, Erling Haaland into it it creates a problem of, uh, offensively because it's harder to defend against as, as uh, Nico Schlotterbeck found out um, but it is that mentality part now, isn't it? That's really, really positive. And, and teams are going to fear that. They're going to be absolutely petrified of, of holding a lead. Probably Dortmund's biggest flaw in this match was scoring as early as they did. I think if they don't score, City don't score, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I think it's you know on theme with it being a Wednesday and City playing in the Champions League. I think this characteristic is going to be most important in the Champions League and not in the yeah. Premier League. Because yeah. you know in the Premier League, if you... Our goal down at halftime in what are we in September? You've got what thirty got thirty odd games to save mm. your season in the Champions League. You'll have thirty minutes to save your season, um, and I think that's where this trade is going to probably push them to a level we haven't seen. That's not me. That's not me predicting them, you know, to win a Champions League. But if you think back to you know two years ago, three years ago, if City are um, 3-1 down after the first leg of a Champions League tie, I have no confidence in them pulling yeah. that out. Yeah. Um, the I had confidence in this team coming from behind to win a Champions League tie for 45 minutes at the Etihad against Liverpool in 2017. That was the yeah. only time I've ever yeah. had confidence in, in this team coming from behind. So um, that's where I think this is going to be such an impressive trade is, is – you know where we see this club face the most adversity and see this squad face the most adversity is in the Champions League. Mm. Um, so hopefully, we see some famous Champions League comebacks this year. And I think that's a good place to end. Is with the mm. we'll leave with this fantasy 
of a city come from behind victory in a Champions League night, a famous night at the Etihad yeah. in the Champions League. I was going to say, are the commentators going to start saying that the glorious under the lights at, at the Etihad? Are we going to steal Liverpool's mantle? N- not if not if a Wednesday night under the lights at the Etihad <laughs> looks anything like it did tonight. Yeah, yeah. Insert, I mean, insert camera capture sound here. Yeah, it was... Um, Champions League group stage games are, are, are not the time. Apart from, you know, it, it, got, it got a little bit rowdy towards the end. But, um, you know, I think most City supporters who are, who are regulars at games will, will say Champions League group stage games are not where you get the authentic atmosphere. Premier League games, however, um, absolutely brilliant. Um, right, OK, we'll, we'll do that then. Um, it's been a pleasure. Anything else to add before we bounce? Um, any, any waffle-related waffle to finish off with? No waffle-related waffle. I think we did enough waffle waffling at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking forward to my shreddies now. I'm going to hit the hay, wake up, and have a lovely bowl of shreddies. Um, I'll have to send you some. You can try them out. They're lovely. Yeah, send me, send me, put it all in a bowl, put the milk in, wrap it up really tight, <laughs> and put it in the mail, please. It might be okay. I, I only have oat milk, so it, it might last a little bit longer than that. Just put a couple off. ice cubes in there, keep it nice and cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that will pass customs. Um, right, okay. Adam, been a pleasure. Until next time, we will be back this week with a Wolverhampton Wanderers. I forgot who said to be playing then. The football never stops. Wolverhampton Wanderers preview. Um, not sure you'll be there. It may be Ollie, but we'll see. Um, I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Adam Booker, of course. And until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running. And just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.